Last week, Jesus, along with Mary and Joseph, after stopping by the temple in Jerusalem for some ritual purification and circumcision, were heading home. That was over in Luke's gospel. Luke's account of the nativity, cleverly referred to by Pastor Jeff as the Linus version, is the account that we most associate with Christmas. After all, Linus proclaimed it, and then miraculously, the Charlie Brown tree became a star. So why wouldn't we believe it? When it comes to the wise men, while they are not mentioned in Luke's gospel, we still place them gently into our Christmas story. It's not Christmas or Christmas tide, the 12 days after Christmas, without the wise men. When it comes to the wise men, we place them gently in our nativity scenes. We make sure they are part of our Christmas pageants. Two weeks ago, in this room, we had a Christmas pageant with wise men in it, even though they were not part of the scripture reading for that evening. While being some of the first people on the scene, we do not see the wise men make an appearance in our lectionary readings until Christmas tide. Actually, the last day of Christmas tide. And while Christmas tide concluded yesterday, and yes, that means your neighbor will now take down the inflatable Darth Vader Santa Claus that's been in his front yard since Halloween, the story of the wise men seems more appropriate for December 24th or 31st and not January 7th. Wise men are a centerpiece in the nativity story. As much as we need sweet baby Jesus in the manger, we need wise men traveling afar. The wise men are so much a centerpiece of the nativity that for centuries, artists have been trying to interpret who these people were. In our scripture, we have little detail on the wise men, but still there are countless paintings that have been created. Creche figurines have been crafted. And there's even a popular Christmas carol written about these men. The Arminians have gone so far as to give these unnamed traveling wise men from the east, they've given them names. All of these are an attempt to tell us who these men were and why they traveled from the east, first to Jerusalem and next on to Bethlehem. So who were these guys? Where did they come from? Why were they traveling from the east? Why do we Christians centuries later still talk about them? Talking about them so much that we've dedicated an entire day in our Christian calendar to them. Traveling from the east gives us little to go on. If I tell someone that I meet in California that I'm from the east, that's a pretty broad geographic location. I could be from Atlanta, Georgia. I could be from Maine. I could be from Europe. I could be from Asia. All of these places are great places to call home, but they are completely different geographically and culturally. The wise men could have been from Iraq, Iran, or Arabia. Perhaps they were from further away. Perhaps they were from India. Regardless of where they were from, or if they were priests, scholars, or astrologers. The wise men represented the best of the pagan world. 
They had studied enough. They knew enough that when they saw the star in the sky, that it was no ordinary star. They had studied enough to know that when they saw that star, it was time to pack up and head west. The wise men were also of high enough station to be received by King Herod. To say that Herod had an ego problem is a bit of an understatement. He believed that his reputation and prestige was without comparison. He was a regional ruler overseeing a very small portion of the Roman Empire. You could say that he was a little fish in a big pond. He would not receive just anybody or any group of travelers. But when the wise men arrive at his court, Herod's ego welcomes them in with open arms. And in doing so, Herod acknowledges that these travelers from the east were of high enough station at the least to receive and meet Herod's high station. So here we have it in Jerusalem, east meeting west. And the wise men have not yet made it to Bethlehem. Many of us, though, whether we like to admit it or not, have had a Herod moment in our lives. While Herod is the villain of the story, we can at least sympathize with him. We've all had a visitor or experienced someone contacting us, only to find out they didn't actually want to talk to us. While that might be a blow to your ego or a minor letdown, or a relief really, depending on which side of the family is contacting you, that moment causes Herod's attitude to change. In that moment, his ego, his fragile ego, becomes bruised. As, pagan outs- as the pagan outsiders arrive in Jerusalem and inquire about the newly born king of the Jews, Herod's ego takes over. We learn more of the wise men's station when they are called to provide Herod with information about what exactly they had seen in the sky. Herod needs to know the exact time the star appeared. And the wise men knew their stuff. They were able to answer Herod's questions. And remember, Herod had already consulted with his chief priests and scribes, his most trusted advisors. And still the wise men were called upon to fill the gaps, the gaps that Herod's dream team was supposed to be able to figure out. Matthew makes it clear to us that the wise men, while not being royalty, were to be trusted. They had the necessary credentials for an ego-driven king like Herod to take them seriously. While not being kings, the wise men were still authoritative on the matter in the eyes of King Herod. They're still authoritative figures in the nativity story today. In a season where we hear that Jesus is the reason for the season. And we see bumper stickers on cars reading, Keep Christ in Christmas. Why on earth would Matthew place the wise men as a focal point in his account of the nativity? The wise men, magi traveling to the east, from the east, and traversing afar were the first Gentiles to acknowledge the birth of the Messiah. And how did these pagan Gentile outsiders acknowledge the birth of the Messiah? 
by bowing down in worship and offering gifts, gold, acknowledging the majesty of Christ, frankincense, noting Christ's divinity, and myrrh, foreshadowing Christ's premature death. They were outsiders to the covenant of Israel. They knew little to nothing about the writings of the prophets Samuel and Micah. When the chief priests and scribes report back to Herod, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. The wise men would have had no clue where Bethlehem was or what Judah was. Remember, they were following a star, not a map. They were looking up to the heavens, not down to a rolled up piece of parchment or a screen on a GPS. But they were on to something. When the Messiah was born, it would have been the job of the chief priest to recognize what was happening, not pagan astrologers from a distant land. The early church, early Christians, saw the significance of the wise men and further connected their visit to the prophet Isaiah's writings. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Isaiah 60, verse 3. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephra, all those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the praise of the Lord. Isaiah 60, verse 6. This is how the wise men garner the title of kings. And this is how camels made it into our nativity. Early Christians also connected the birth of Christ to the psalmist. We just read that a few moments ago. May the kings of Tarshish and the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. Year after year after year, the wise men are played as minor characters in Christian in Christmas pageants. And we fail to see that for us, all of us in this room this morning, as Gentiles, the wise men's visit to Bethlehem signaled just as Simeon declared in the temple that Christ had come for all people. Episcopal priest and teacher of preachers, the Reverend Fleming Rutledge notes that this encounter also signals the age that is to come. Because of the wise men, we know that the kingdom of God would include, yes, the Jews, but now those who were previously considered outside the covenant between God and Israel. In the wise men's traveling, worship, and bearing of gifts, we see the writings of John from the book of Revelation. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. So why does any of this matter today? What does the crazy book of Revelation that nobody likes to read have to do with wise men, camels, and baby Jesus? We continue to seek out Christ, bringing, as Reverend Rutledge puts it, all of our treasure to Jesus. 
We will use our scholarship and our culture to point to the one whose light shone bright enough to bring visitors from the east. That we too will point others to what happened in Bethlehem. Leaving our homeland and leaving their homeland. The wise men recognize, we will recognize that Jesus, to Jesus Christ, all of our allegiance is due. When we travel over our own mountains and through our own deserts, we do that to ensure that our gifts, all of our gifts, point to the one who was laid in the manger in Bethlehem. Through the wise men, we see that Christ was born to save good church people. But more so, we see that Christ was born to save those who were not yet chosen, those not beloved, those not initiated, and those not deserving. Thanks be to God.